Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 224. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. When you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes and Spotify. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. Special thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. And Quarter whose mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's Quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Next week is the week. We are back in Las Vegas for the Planet Microcap Showcase. It's happening May 3rd through the 5th, 2022 at Bally's Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. I got to tell you... We are working overtime to make sure that this is as good an event as we've ever put on. I'm really excited to see as many of you as possible there in person. Uh, We're going to be hosting our live Planet Microcap podcast panel there uh, with Jason Hirschman, Gary Reby, Brandon Mackey, and Emily Paxia. 88 companies are going to be presenting. I mean, we got two cocktail parties. It's just, I'm really excited about it. It's not too late to sign up for the event. If you'd like to register and participate, please go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Casper Rawls, Chief Data Officer at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. This interview was a uh, selfish pursuit on my part because I I felt a disconnect between the mainstream idea that we need more battery metals for EV, which, and other applications, which we we most definitely do, but the disconnect is that and what the reality of the situation actually looks like right now. Now, are we using the right technology for EV batteries? The actual problem with the procurement of these raw materials, why these issues are greater than securing sources of these materials. The Benchmark Mineral Intelligence Team and Casper are at the forefront of doing research and data monitoring, covering all these questions and more. 
So thank you again for tuning in to episode 224 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Casper Rawls. This episode is brought to you by Stream by Alpha Sets. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And joining me today is Casper Rawls. He is the Chief Data Officer at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. Casper, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me on the show. It's great to have you on. Look, we're, we're at a time where I've actually been trying to get someone on the team from, from Benchmark for a while now um, with uh, the crazy growth in EV, battery metals, uh, technology, all this stuff. I, I've, I've been told that Benchmark is the firm to come to to answer some of these questions. So again, th- I'm really stoked to have you on today. Um, but before we get into all the, you know, the good stuff, um, I'd love to get your background. Where, where, where did your passion for investing and maybe even battery technology, EV, all, all the stuff we're probably going to talk about today, where did your passion for all that come from? Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, by, by training, I'm a geologist. So um, when I, I studied geology at university, and when I finished, I went, went and worked for a mining company called Rio Tinto as an exploration geologist, mostly in West Africa. So, um, you know, a lot of what we do is focused around the mining sector. And then actually when I left, um, when I left Rio Tinto, I moved back to where I'm from, which is where I am now in London. And um, I started working in finance and I was trading precious metals. So gold, silver, platinum, palladium. Um, and just kind of the com- combination of that kind of mining experience and also the financial experience really worked well in terms of what Benchmark was looking for at the time. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I moved across, joined Benchmark, and then kind of got into the battery mineral space from there, really. Very good. And for those that don't know Benchmark and everything that you do over there, can you give us a, a brief background? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So Benchmark is uh, well, primarily a price reporting agency. And what that means is that we collect price data directly from the lithium ion battery supply chain. That's uh, producers, consumers, so mining companies, uh, cathode and anode companies, cell manufacturers, automakers. We collect that price data and we publish price assessments. So we produce our own data on prices for lithium, cobalt, nickel and graphite. Uh, that's natural graphite and synthetic graphite. Um, we also offer a, a number of other services, primarily consulting and advisory services. So advising, you know, anything from, again, mining companies, financial institutions, global governments. We've given testimony to the U.S. Senate on 
three different occasions. Um, uh, forecasting services as well. We also have an ESG division, which is growing very rapidly. Lots of interest around kind of ESG and making sure that when we rebuild these auto supply chains, it's being done in a sustainable way. Uh, and then finally, events. So we we uh, host a number of events each year. Actually, last week we just had our first in-person event post-COVID in Berlin, the battery mega factories event, which was focused around kind of the build out of European battery capacity. But um, yeah, so like we, we you know we offer data and data and advisory services on the lithium ion battery supply chain specifically, and it's all we do. So we're very focused on that sector. We have a large team of analysts just looking at the battery supply chain. Very good. All right. So now let's let's dig into the good stuff. Um, I think I'm going to set up this question a little differently. You know, you mentioned that you you um, you, you went to Senate to to talk with them about what's probably going on in EV and battery metals. But what would you say is the number one thing that you're getting requests either for interviews with me or just what, what's the main subject that you've been asked to speak on? And then, and then let's, let's go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, sure. I mean, in terms of like the near term, the things that have come up the most is uh, what's happened with the nickel price. So I'm sure, um, Many of the, the viewers would have uh, seen what happened with the LME on 8th of March, where prices went up to, due to a short squeeze, went up to $100,000 a ton. So that's been a hot topic. The lithium price more generally, which is up around kind of five, just over 500% uh, year over year since the start of the pandemic recovery. Uh, they're up kind of 750% lithium prices in some regions. Um, and then I'd say actually kind of more broadly, let's say from the industry, um, the other question we get is like, what are the key challenges that the industry is facing right now? What are the challenges that the supply chain is facing? Um, and that can be on raw materials, that can be on prices, or that can also be on technology. What's the kind of technology outlook and what's going on there? So real variety. I think at the moment, most recently, it's been kind of the impact of, of uh, yeah, the, the, the conflict in Ukraine and, and the enemy um, price spike that we saw that was kind of linked to that. Well, so so let's let's start there. You know, what has been the impact from from the war going on in Ukraine? How has that affected uh, battery metal prices? You know, let, let's learn a little bit more there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think nickel is is the one that's been impacted the most. Norilsk nickel is um, the world's largest class one nickel producer, um, and you know, one of the biggest of any kind of nickel production globally. Um, that's probably the one that's seen the immediate impact. And you know, I think you know. It, the reality is in the time frame that it happened from kind of the start of the conflict to to when we saw that really big jump up in price no one was really impacted by embargoes or or uh, material not being shipped or, or people deciding not to buy it it was more the uncertainty of what was going on so um in in reality when we look at kind of the battery supply chain the real supply is not you know it's not really supplying that much material into the battery industry right now on the nickel front um I think most of the nickel go about 100,000 tons of anywhere between 150 and 180,000 tons of production goes into Europe for industrial applications as cup cathodes. The rest, uh, most of the rest goes to China. A lot of that goes, ends up on the Sheffield. So um, it's not, you know, it, it's more concerns over like what, what it means for nickel more globally and, and the impact of the supply chain. So um, actually it hasn't really had an impact on like getting hold of material, but what it has impacted is, is that kind of reference, the LME. Um, and that's how a lot of battery supply chain contracts are priced. So um, the basis for the calculation part of that will include the LME price. Um, and people are really concerned, obviously, because of the potential impact on the cost of batteries. So when we look at what 
raw materials are being used that are going into uh, the lithium-ion battery supply chain in the nickel market. The two main feeds are nickel briquettes, which is just a, is a nickel metal form. It's like a powdered metal that is compressed into a, into a small kind of bun-shaped piece of metal um, or something called MHP, uh, which is mixed hydroxide precipitate. Largely, that's coming from Indonesia. Um, but those are priced off of the LME. Uh, but there's some other parts of, to the calculation, but it includes uh, largely, uh, you know, the, the LME metal price. So, um, you know, people have asked, what's the impact on the supply chain? The reality is that um, most companies that are buying nickel for batteries are not exposed to those kind of small daily swings in, in, in contract pricing, what, uh, sorry, in, uh, in exchange pricing. They will take an average. Maybe that's an average for a month, an average for... Two months, it, it depends on exactly what's written in the contract. But, you know, the re reality is nickel prices have gone up. They've gone up a lot. If you think not that long ago, they were in the teens. Now, you know, the LME is kind of settling around the $30,000 a ton mark. Um, so it's a big increase. And particularly when you look at what's happening with battery technology, automakers have been pushing to move to higher nickel concentrations in the battery. And what that means is that, you know, the nickel has a, an outsized impact on the total cost of the battery because it is such a high input um, in, in terms of the volume now going into those batteries. So going, continue to go down that, that rabbit hole a little bit. We're, we're talking about the, the automakers and, and EV. And granted, I'm not here to pretend that I am uh, an expert in, in any of that. But in, in talking with some investors on, on our show, on our other show, Investors Roundtable as well, um, one question that keeps coming up is the idea that are we using the right technology for electric vehicles, you know, especially when we mm -hmm. think about everything that you just said, um, having to do with now, even, even going to more high, high nickel inputs uh, for, for the batteries, but, you know, and please tell me if this is also a myth, whether or not we have to, we use a lot of material from China just to make these batteries. And then on top of which the other potential myth is that these aren't uh, the most, um, I guess, environmentally friendly ways of creating EV type vehicles. So can you, can you address some of these potential truthisms, not truthisms, myths, you know, help, help me out here. Yeah. Um, I mean, lithium ion batteries are very good, right? There's, there's no doubt that as a, as a technology, they're excellent and they, you know, whatever way you want to look at it, they are the platform technology that will allow the energy transition, which is needed. I, I think everyone agrees no, we need to do something about climate change and you know the one way that we can do that immediately or sorry not immediately as quickly as possible is to move away from, from fossil fuels so that's um you know that that's the key thing um now lithium-ion technology is not only very good it continues to get better um lithium-ion batteries are getting cheaper although maybe not this year but over the last 10 years if you if you go back to kind of uh, 2009 2010 you were looking at prices of over a thousand dollars per kilowatt hour to buy a lithium-ion battery. Um, last year, you were looking at somewhere just over a hundred dollars. Uh, kind of average for large contract automotive was around one hundred and five dollars per kilowatt hour. Um, that's probably going to go up this year for the first time in modern lithium-ion history. Um, but you know, the technology is improving. It's getting better. It's getting more abundant. That's really key as well. You need to be able to scale. So um, I would say lithium-ion is very good. I mean, I don't know what else you would use you know there's arguments around hydrogen but the technology's got its challenges as well and there's you know in terms of kind of the uh, distribution network there's definitely challenges there as well so i think lithium ion is good it will continue to improve we'll continue to get better range out of the vehicles better charging times that's another critical thing 
Um, so I personally think it's a great technology. I think it's enabled many things already. The key enabler as well that it, it could potentially provide, although there are some competing technologies in the space, is energy storage. So when you talk about kind of grid scale energy storage, lithium ion may be there. That seems to be winning the day right now. But I think that's to do with it's there, it's available, right? If you can, you can, well, it's a bit more challenging now with the lithium shortage, but um, you can buy lithium ion batteries at scale. Um, and, you know, if you think about what will supersede today's lithium ion, it's just a, you know, in that, it's kind of the benchmark opinion of what's next is another form of lithium ion that's called solid state batteries. So those are batteries where the anode material is likely to be lithium metal. You don't have a liquid electrolyte. You, um, it's, a, it's an all solid battery. And um, that should be the kind of next step up in terms of energy density and charging times. That's still some time away. That's kind of end of the decade type stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's very, very good. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan. It's, you know, if, I don't know if you've driven a Tesla Model S, but they are uh, fun. <laughs> oh, it's, um, uh, it's so much fun. And I'm coming out and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm pretty much, I'm very much in agreement with you that, you know, we, we need to get away from fossil fuels. You know, we want, we want a cleaner earth. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's just, it was interesting. It was an interesting coming up, you know, especially when you've seen the price of oil and gas just skyrocket. And, you know, people wanting to like, oh, here's this is our reason now to go to totally clean when like, all right. Yeah, but we're not like and again, maybe this is a potential myth, but it just seemed like we're not at scale yet to be able to completely transition over to that where we all probably want to, but we just can't. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is the raw, raw materials aren't going to be there. So what we've seen over the last few years, and this is one of the challenges that we kind of talk about in presentations and when you know people from the industry come to us, is that what you've seen is you've seen these really big commitments, particularly post-COVID in that kind of recovery period, the green recovery, like ESG capital, trying to find a home where there's only certain places that can go in and kind of renewable power, EVs is one of them, one of the big ones. Um, is that you see automakers doubling down on uh, the, the targets, more aggressive targets for EV sales in terms of their total fleet, which is which is great, right? It's good to see, but the, the challenge is those raw materials are not going to be there for when they need them, you know, or, or potentially not going to be there. So, you know, if you look at the lithium market now and you, know, you can see what's happening in pricing, the market's extremely tight. Um, effectively, there isn't, you know, th- that could be a limiting factor on, on you know, on, on demand in the future because, what we had sort of from 28, say early 2018 through to uh, like mid 2020 was very, very low prices. You know, prices are around kind of seven, eight dollars a kilo for lithium. Uh, cobalt was like kind of, I don't know, something like 14 or 15 dollars a pound. And now lithium's, you know, in China is up above 70 dollars a kilo and cobalt's approaching 40 dollars a pound. So, you know, people work, you know, the price now incentivizes uh, investment in new supply, which is good news. But that three year period where you had 2018, 2019, 2020, with either, you know, expansions being cancelled, no new capital flowing into the space, we're paying for that now. So we couldn't, we couldn't tomorrow turn, you know, with the battery plants don't exist, the EV plants don't exist, we can't turn all, all, of, all passenger cars into EVs immediately. But the good news is that those raw materials, there's enough of them, you know, there's enough of them in the ground. It's just building the mines and getting them at, you know, out of the ground to the quality needed for a reasonable price that um, is the challenge. And they're abundant enough in the earth's core, so we can do it. It's just going to take some time. So, um, you know, it's um, it's not an immediate solution, but it's something that we can work towards. And then the, the, other, the other positive of kind of the, the 
the bad news is the consumer is paying for this, but you know, by building out these these battery plants at the gigawatt hour scale, you know, we're tracking um, I think 282 lithium-ion battery plants uh, globally. Um, some planned, some in production. I think around 160 are in production, and the remainder are you know on the drawing board. Some in construction, some are, some are you know still yet to start construction. But it's about 5.7 terawatt hours of capacity uh, to 2031. So that's 5,700 gigawatt hours. But that takes time to build out. Um, but you know, as that scale builds, it makes the lithium-ion battery cheaper, and then it makes it you know available for other things like ESS. So then you can re rely on things like wind or solar. You know, intermittent power, renewable power, where it doesn't produce power all the time, but it produces enough. And if you can store it, then it, it becomes less of an intermittent source. It becomes a more reliable source. Absolutely. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. -R. Now back to the show. So where's the bulk of the raw lithium supply right now? Uh, so the majority um, comes from two main places. So Australia is one, which is, is about just over half. Um, and it, in Australia, it comes in a hard rock form called spodumene. Uh, and then majority of the rest comes from South America, particularly Chile and Argentina. Um, there's some other uh, uh, regions in South America that are looking at developing resources, and that's something called brine, which comes from the Salars, which are high-altitude salt lakes, essentially. Um, it's where they do the kind of land speed records, where you see those uh, land speed records. Uh, yeah, so they... Um, it, they pump the brine, which is under that kind of salt crust, and they uh, that contains lithium, and then that gets evaporated in big ponds um, and enriched, and then it gets converted to lithium chemicals. And that's the majority. Um, there's some in the US. There's um, some in various different other regions. You're looking at some emerging um, new regions, such as Africa, where potentially you could get some lithium resources to come from. But the majority of growth in the near term is expected to come from South America and from Australia. And so... Uh this was another, uh, I, we did a panel, I think, I think it was about a year and a half ago, um, where it was kind of an ESG panel talking about ESG, how to think about ESG investing. And the number one, uh, uh, my favorite question that we talked about was how the, the feeling of, okay, we want to go full EV away from fossil fuels, but you're still talking about a questionable uh the extraction methodologies or not, not accusing anybody of anything, but we're, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to properly get it all out of the ground in a, in a, uh, I guess, an environmentally friendly way. And yet this is our answer to uh, combating fossil fuels, but potentially damaging to the environment that way. So maybe that's a myth. I'm not totally sure. You know, can you give me some, can you give me some understanding around that as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think definitely people raise that point that, you know, any, any, any product pretty much uses extractive technologies to, 
to, to make it. So whether it's an internal combustion engine vehicle, you still have steel, aluminium, various other metals which have come from mines. Same with same with lithium-ion batteries, right? The um, cobalt come, largely comes from copper mines. It's a byproduct. Lithium, as they say, can come from these cellars, which actually use solar energy to evaporate away the water. So, you know, that's not the only consideration. You know, there is also uh, kind of other environmental considerations there. But, you know, the majority of um, mining companies are good actors. The people that are secu securing the raw materials from... Um, from those companies are doing their due diligence in terms of audits, etc. So, you know, you're going to have to, you know, build some mines to get these minerals. But the other side of it is, is that, you know, they're endlessly recyclable. It's not like fossil fuels that, you know, where you put, you know, the fuel in your car, you drive, then it's gone. Uh, with these, you know, once the battery has been in use for, let's say, 10 years in, in market, someone will pay or, or maybe not pay you, but someone will take that away for you because they're going to want the minerals that are in there and um, they will uh, recycle those batteries. That's happening now. So there's a lot of recycling, particularly in China. A lot of it to date has focused on the nickel and the cobalt because they're the most valuable minerals. But um, what we're seeing is not only um, with the, what's happening with prices, right? Prices are up across the board for like all input components to lithium-ion batteries, but um, not only with prices, but also with um, what you know, governments are starting to mandate, you know, uh, recycling regulations around um, what's going to happen with these end-of-life batteries, and, and particularly in Europe, that's a big focus. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's not just once you take these minerals out of the ground, they go in the battery and that's it. You know, then they can be used again in 10 years' time and over and over and over. So, um, you know, I would say that I think the numbers that are out there um, on on producing EVs and producing internal combustion engine vehicles, you know, I think there were some numbers that out, that out there that suggested EVs were like, so, you know, so much worse. It didn't matter how many miles you did as an EV, you're going to be polluting the environment more, but those have kind of been largely debunked. And I think the reality is that um, it's not that, you know, that got to keep in mind that the supply chains for EV are very immature. They've only been around for a few years. Supply chains for uh, auto sector engines, et cetera, have been around for a century or more um, and so they're very very uh, mature they have you know all the plants are located close to where the cars are made etc that will happen with evs it's starting to happen in terms of like localization um and you know i think evs slightly more polluting in terms of the production of the vehicle before it goes on the road but then as soon as you start using it obviously you're you're emitting far less in terms of emissions so um you know the life of the vehicle is far better for the environment you mentioned earlier also about how the lithium ion battery is slow. It, it, this is a decade away, I guess, or towards the end of the decade um, from this new solid state version of it. Uh, can you explain why and how come this version of it is potentially uh, the next evolution? Yeah. So um, like there's always a quest for like more energy density, basically, and, you know, better charging times, basically better battery performance, life cycle, you want to improve the life cycle so it lasts longer, all these various different things. Um, and solid state looks like the one that potentially could be the winner. There's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, it should be more energy dense. It should be kind of a relatively big step up, um, depending on the metric you, you use for to track because there's volumetric and there's like weight gravimetric two ways of looking at it um, and they're, they're different, but you know, you're looking at kind of a 30 or 40% improvement in kind of energy density. Um, the, the other thing as well is that 
the majority of kind of leading companies that are developing it, it's still at the R&D phase, there's still some issues around uh, uh, the R&D challenges, shall we say, to, to get over. So that's why I say it's, it's a long way off. And also, you know, it takes a while to get the cost down. But um, the, the, um, the leading companies in the space, or should we say, you know, the kind of development pathway, the majority of, the, of them are using a cathode material, which is or, or the supply chain already exists. So they're using like an NCM or nickel-based cathode technology. Um, so that means you don't have to scale that part of the supply chain again which is always a challenge, right? If you've got to scale a supply chain, like we've seen with, e with lithium-ion batteries and EVs now, it's taken a few years to kind of, you know, there was this spike in lithium and cobalt prices around 2016, 2017, early 2018. And that was around excitement for demand for EV. But the reality is it's taken till now for all of the legacy automakers to start bringing out those, those EVs. Obviously, Tesla were there uh, previously, just disclosure i'm not allowed to invest in any ev supply chain stock so i don't hold anything but um tesla were there early but you know now you're seeing the likes of volkswagen general motors etc cetera, etc cetera, bringing out evs and it's taken that, that long to get there and for the supply chain to scale um you don't want to have to do that all over again it makes it a lot harder for new technology to come in if that's the case so solid state is um what we think will come next um as i say some some development to be done in terms of its performance but the theoretical benefits are, uh, are, are you know clear um, and it would need to be a big jump up in performance improvement no one's going to change their whole supply chain for a 10 percent improvement right you, you need that kind of step change so we think uh, by the time it's kind of scaled cost has come down a bit it will it'll be the end of the decade you probably see some batteries sooner than that they're going to be going in like very you know high-end applications where cost isn't a concern you know military or very high-end sports cars or drones or things like that so um, I want to I want to actually get back to lithium extraction. Um, you know, I've interviewed quite a few lithium companies over the years, and you know, almost I think I don't know one of them that's in production <laughs> right now. Okay. You know, I'm, in, I'm in the microcap space, and you know, most of them are you know development uh, building. You know, yeah. for those that may not know, and and for me, it's still an education process. But when we're thinking about the difference between you know built you know exploring discovery all right there's gold now we're gonna you know all all the everything in between the peas all that and to go to now creating the mine with the mill you know what's what's the lithium equivalent to that is it the same uh time frame is it the same uh all the same stuff that you have to do and then you know what from from finding it to then finally pulling it out of the ground what's usually that time frame and cost to uh to finally getting there yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, it's the same process. It's mining, right? It's um, depending on the, the resource type. It's very much the same process, usually speaking. I guess the difference with lithium, in some cases, you're dealing with brine, so a liquid rather than, you know, mineralogy in the ground like you would for spodumene in Australia. Spodumene in Australia is the same. It's just hard rock mining. Obviously, Australians are some of the world's best at that. So they're doing a good, good job over there. Um, but the... Um, yeah, with, with lithium as well, you have brines. And in some cases, you have um, geothermal brines, so it's hot. And um, so that's slightly different. So you have slightly different extraction technologies, um, which can be challenging. Uh, DLE, direct lithium extraction, is, is one of the technologies or is a form of technology that's kind of essentially going to need to happen um, for some of these, uh, these new projects. Um, so it is slightly different. But fundamentally, in terms of financing, an operation you're going through the same steps you're proving you're de-risking and proving that there's something there and that you can extract it for a cost 
I think that one of the challenges, though, that's slightly different, you know, with gold, you don't really need to prove that there's a terminal market for gold if you're building a gold mine. You know, where's this going to go? Well, I can just sell it to this exchange, or, you know, worst case scenario. But there's, you know, gold is something that people are going to buy. I think with lithium, obviously, there's a huge demand for it, but your product can't go to anyone. It's not a commodity. It's a speciality chemical. So depending on what these projects are going to do, and a lot of them are looking at going to the chemical stage, not just selling, um, particularly in the brines and stuff, not just selling some kind of concentrate. Um, you're, you need to be qualified. You need to have your, your lithium carbonate, or your lithium hydroxide qualified with, um, with an off-taker, which is generally speaking going to be a battery company. In some cases, it might be an auto maker, but you know, someone downstream. Um, and the challenge with that is that um, you need to be, a, you need, a, you need to be able to produce something. So you can do some pilot scale stuff and that gets you one step away. But fundamentally, you're only going to be fully qualified when you build your refinery and you start producing and they can qualify that material. So it is more challenging um, on that side. And, you know, again, you don't, you don't have an exchange for lithium. There's no other option. And it's not really a commodity. It's a chemical. And each individual customer will qualify you separately. That takes some time. That can take, well, uh, probably 12 months is probably a reasonable time frame these days. You know, it could be a bit quicker if you're an incumbent. But, you know, you're talking largely about people that are new to the industry and therefore it could be longer. Um, you know, 18 months, two years, something like that, which is you know, a long process and, and you know, costly process. Um, time frame, I think, you know, realistic, you know, best case scenario from discovery to production, we say seven years typically. Um, some companies do do it a bit quicker. You know, it's a bit easier to do that on the hard rock side because you're just immediately mining to do it slightly sooner. And that has happened, but it's rare. Uh, on the brine side, you know, if you're pumping brine and you're using, you're not using DLE, you're using evaporation ponds, you've got a two-year time window from when you first start pumping to, and you know, depending on how, how much the sun shines, about two years uh, until you have that something that's rich enough to then go through a chemical process. So a uh, long period. In terms of money, you put me on the spot here. I don't know that number off the top of my head. Um, I can probably get you that number, but I, I, I think the capex really varies depending on the, you know the mineralogy and if you have to develop your own process, which in many cases you do for DLE. Obviously, that's going to add cost on top of building out your um, your refinery or your you know your chemical process. Very good. So. When it comes to the off-tick partners, the various battery companies, I mean, you would think that there's this huge, there would be a bigger boom of more lithium companies out there, or at least lithium developers, you know, just scouring the earth to try and, you know, uh, get get some of these projects online. Is that, are you seeing that? Is that is that the case? Or is it is the barrier to entry extremely difficult? No, I mean, I mean, definitely even, you know, back in 2016, uh, 2017, we were tracking over 100 kind of lithium developers. Um, and a lot of those are still around. Um, obviously a bit of a harder time in lithium, as I said, through that 2018 through to 2020 window. I mean, it's only really been, what, let's say, um, a year, a year and a bit since lithium prices came off of like a seven, seven, eight dollars a kilo price. You know, and have been you know much better, more more attractive price. So, um, we're starting to see more activity on that kind of front in terms of developers. I think there's yeah, there's no shortage. Um, it is hard. It is you know to get the pro the, the product 
to qualification or through qualification. The lithium chemical will take a long time, but um, we are seeing a lot of interest. But I guess, you know, the other side of it as well is like commodity prices are high across the board. So there's lots of interest, you know, gold price has been high, cobalt price is high. It's not like it's just lithium that's popped and everyone's jumped on that because there's, there's no opportunity elsewhere. There's lots of opportunity everywhere at the moment. I think I would say, though, we generally see really good interest in, you know, in kind of development projects across the battery supply chain because you're, you know, if you look at the numbers, you're looking at CAGR kind of growth in demand to the end of the decade and beyond of like 20 to 25%. There's very few other markets on earth that can claim that, if any. Um, and so I think, you know, the reality is that it's going to stay appealing for a long time. And we do see you know, lots of the developers in the space. So from an investing perspective, when we're thinking about all the, you know, the demand for lithium, demand for battery metals, and, you know, everything going on right now in EV technology, how should investors understand what, where we are at right now? And then also looking ahead, you know, I'm not asking for investment advice or anything like that, but, you know, what, what just how should we think about this? Because it's a lot of information to take in. And now it's how do we, how do we, what kind of action can we, our folks doing, I guess? Like, what are you observing? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of where we are in the cycle, we're like in the Ford Model, model T type uh, part of the cycle. You know, we're, we're really early. We've only really just got the first kind of mass production EVs from legacy automakers that have been around for maybe a year now, maybe a bit less. You know, as I said, there were some kind of early models, but the reality is it's not been long. Um, so the growth trajectory is is and potential is massive. You know, this is and, and you know we're only talking about EVs mostly. We're not even really talking about the potential for energy storage and other applications because you know the lithium-ion battery, to say as I mentioned before, is the platform technology that is going to enable changes across the board. If you look at everything that's happening in power tool market, e-bikes. You know, every time I get uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if it's the same company name in the US, but here it's called Deliveroo. Where you you know order on you can use Uber Eats or Deliveroo. And everyone that comes to meet you is on an e-bike. They're not on a scooter. They're not. They're just on an electric bicycle. So all of this potential is, you know, and those numbers add up when you're talking about hundreds of millions of units, right? They, um, so there's there's huge potential there. Um, you know, I would the, the key things to think about though is like really understanding the space and the nuances of the supply chain. Where you know I did say this previously, but don't look at lithium like a, a commodity. Don't think, oh, it's in the ground. It's going to come out of the ground and it's, you know, that's it. It's an, e- it's an easy calculation. It's a lot more complicated than that. And actually producing those chemicals to parts per million and parts per billion impurities that are needed for battery grade. And actually those, those um, specifications are tightening. They're, you know, they're becoming more and more stringent as we squeeze more performance out of the battery. Those impurities, which previously were acceptable, become unacceptable. And so um, really understand, you know, what's happening in terms of like the, 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 the technical aspects of the space. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I mean, it, demand, demand is not the problem, right? I think we say like the EV, the EV sector, the one, the one challenge it doesn't face is demand or lithium-ion battery sector, the one challenge it doesn't face is demand. Um, it's really, um, yeah, it's looking, it's, it's more looking at the supply side and picking those good operators, um, you know, really understanding that it's, um, yeah, there's, there's many steps to getting into the lithium-ion supply chain. You know, and the same thing is, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking about lithium, but the same thing's there for cobalt and nickel as well. What we're seeing is that, that uh, 
you know, you, everyone has cobalt, cobalt and nickel markets in particular for metal, but actually the reality is that, you know, the, the, the product that goes into your, into your smartphone or goes into um, an EV is a chemical. And the precursor chemical that goes into, uh, or the feed chemical that goes into EV batteries is sulfate, so nickel sulfate, cobalt sulfate. And we've seen the same thing as well, where recently, as we're moving to more energy dense batteries, um, suppliers who are supplying what's called precursor, which is a mix of nickel sulfate, uh, cobalt sulfate, manganese sulfate, they, the, their impurity profiles uh, were fine for these kind of slightly less energy dense batteries. But as we're moving to the more energy dense ones, it's become a challenge. So you need to be aware of these changing technologies and, and also the potential cost of upgrading your refining process to be able to re, re, uh, meet the new specifications. So yeah, it's a constantly evolving space, um, changing very, very quickly. So there's, um, there's a lot to kind of stay on top of, I guess. Very good. And, and so, when we're looking at the the supply side, you know, you mentioned is really it just sounds like it, from an investing perspective is just being able to understand the right operators and and potentially picking the right operators. So, what are some of the the the, the I guess you say the green flags and the red flags that we should be looking for when we're evaluating various operators? Um, I guess I said I said operators. I mean, obviously that's an element of it, but I guess what I get really, I mean, like the resource. I mean, when you're looking at um, uh, when you're looking at lithium, magnesium is a big. Um, if it's associated with magnesium, the levels, concentrations, that's a hard thing to separate out. Um, in those geothermal brines, and you, you, what with geothermal brines, one of the challenges, obviously, it's hot, right? So everything dissolves, and you've got lots and lots of different minerals in this kind of soup, and. Um, Really understanding that the uh, how hard it is to separate different minerals out um, is is one thing. Again, with DLE, you know, the, the technology that works at one site or one resource is not necessarily, or, or let's say, unlikely to work at the other resource. Maybe it does if they're exactly the same, but the reality is they're not going to be exactly the same. Um, and so, you know, you need to develop a new process, new new. Um, extractive technologies to be able to get to that pure form of lithium and you know depending on what it is you may get bad recovery rates if it's got this associated with it and therefore it puts down your you know your capacity and all of these various different things but um i think yeah resources number one for sure um obviously the other thing as well as uh, you know experience helps uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to do it right but it does help but um yeah i mean we uh, you know th those are my thoughts we don't really assess companies or, or, think, or anything like that. We just, we, we supply the data and let the smart people make the decisions on the, who's a good company and who's a bad company. But, um, you know, there's lots of great projects out there. There's lots of um, opportunity as well. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, it's, I guess, an interesting space to be in. Absolutely. One more question on supply chain and addressing some of the challenges that we're going through right now. Um, Oh, point blank. What are some of the challenges that we're going through right now when it comes to uh, the supply chain for the EV battery metals uh, uh, markets right now? Yeah. Yeah, I think the number one thing that's like in the near term that, that people are facing are prices. So um, essentially, as I said, you know, I, I did a, a presentation last week at our event in Berlin um, and um, I actually pulled together the data of like what's happened since the start of the pandemic in terms of the key input prices for raw materials. So I looked at lithium, cobalt, nickel, synthetic graphite, natural graphite, manganese sulfate, 
and iron phosphate. So that covers like NCM and LFP batteries, which are the two that are going to EVs. That's kind of the, that's part of the playoff that people are talking about in technology development at the moment. And all of them, bar one, were up by roughly 100% or more, you know, lithium up by 700 and something percent. Uh, nickel at the time, because of what was going on with the LME, was up by, I don't know, I can't remember, 200 and something percent. But um, yeah, essentially, you know, that, that is the immediate, that's the immediate challenge. And, and the reason that's particularly a challenge for the EV space is, you know, the EV is a competing product with what we drive now, internal, internal combustion engine vehicles or ICE vehicles. Um, and you need to be able to offer a product that's at a comparable price. It doesn't have to be the same price. People understand it's cheaper to run, but it probably needs to be somewhere, you know, nearby. People aren't going to go in and say, this one's, you know, $35,000, this one's $55,000 everyone's going to buy the $35,000 option. So um, yeah, it needs to be competing in terms of price and as automakers. Uh, so, you know, if it's, a, if you're selling two or 3% of your vehicles uh, as, as electric vehicles and you're losing some money or you're making no profit, you know, the rest of the business can kind of wear that for you. But as you, as you see, you know, companies, General Motors, Ford, et cetera, really pushing on the EV uh, thematic and increasing their targets. If you 10%, 15% of your sales are making no profit, that's a big challenge. And that's, you know, your board are going to start asking questions as why that's the case. So that's the immediate challenge. You're looking at, you know, prices going up as well, which means that fewer people can afford to buy them um, or, um, uh, sorry, afford to buy EVs, I mean. And so, um, you know, it, it's not really solving the problem of, of moving away from fossil fuels. So I think that's the immediate challenge. Um, in particular, you know, normally, if you're talking about commodities, even if the price goes up, the automakers or the end users protected to some extent because you can hedge, you can use exchanges to hedge. Now, previously, up until this month, I would have said that you can do that in nickel, but not the others. But even now, there's questions about the LME and, you know, are these current exchange structures that we have suitable for markets that are going through growth rates of 20, 25% CAGR um, in terms of, you know, growth and demand? And are they suitable? Can they deal with that kind of volatility? So it's hard to hedge. Um, and in lithium and cobalt, effectively, there's no liquid hedging, hedging mechanism. So they're really exposed to the, the price. They're exposed to the market price. And that's not something I think they're used to dealing with. So I think that's the immediate problem. In the medium term, the other two problems are uh, just access to raw materials. The lithium market's already fallen into deficit. That's why the price is so high. Um, and that's expected to continue for a number of years. Um, how do you get hold of the material? now? You know the, 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 that kind of presents a kind of semiconductor-like challenge uh, for the for the auto industry in the sense that it's not going to they're not going to get no batteries they're going to get some batteries but is there going to be um, unrealized demand are they going to have a huge order book you know people going to go into the showroom and say sorry if you want one it's a year it's eighteen months people are just going to walk out again no one wants to wait that long for a car unless they're you know a real fan but um, you know that's that's a challenge for them and you know at the moment i would say that the also makers largely speaking are very slow to react in terms of speaking with mining companies or producers and saying we want to do an offtake for five years for a large amount of material that hasn't really come to fruition yet we are starting to see some investments um uh let's say investments or offtake agreements with um pre-production companies development companies um but you know those carry a certain amount of risk um you want to have some of your book banked against basically producing assets you know things that are already proven that they can produce and you want to have some you know theoretically at lower cost you know you get some deal on the price um for things that are not yet in production um so i think just access to raw materials is a problem 
And then finally, I guess the, the other one to kind, of, to kind of wrap it up would be, we think about what's happened in Russia, Ukraine, the conflict in Ukraine. It's just another knock on global supply chains, right? Fragility of global supply chains, global regions. Ukraine is a big wiring loom hub for the European auto industry. So they've got problems there because they can't get the wiring looms that they were getting before. Um, it just exposes again, right? If you're dependent on one region for, for something, it's a risk. So what we're seeing is a big localization strategy and, and bringing a lot of the battery supply chain, which, you know, some of the raw materials, but a lot of the refining capacity sits in China when we're talking about, when I talk about cobalt sulfate or I'm talking about lithium chemicals or precursor and cathode and even batteries, about three quarters of the world's battery production capacity is in China. So we've seen, you know, good investments in, in cell capacity in Europe and North America, but the other bits of the supply chain, you know, converting that, that, that mineral that's produced at the, at the mine to chemicals, that, that doesn't really happen elsewhere. So um, that localization is, is a potential risk as well. Um, you, you know, if you look at, I think, cathode nano production, I, I did some numbers again uh, recently on this. In 2025, I think, I think Europe had about 4% of global capacity and North America had like 2% in terms of the, of the plans, which is obviously not enough to be self-sufficient or anywhere near, you know, it's nothing, not close enough. So, yeah, it's just that kind of build out of the entire supply chain. Because, you know, I think people really focus on the raw materials, like, the, you know, the mines. Are we producing enough lithium, cobalt, nickel, graphite, manganese, et cetera? And then the other end of the supply chain, the EV factories and the cells, but there's everything in between needs to grow at the same rate for it to, to be able to supply the market. And that's not really happened so far. And why is that? Why, why, is, why is everything in between taking so long? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think... Um, there was a lot for the for the automakers to focus on, right? There's a lot going on. It's a massive change to their business. There's only so many people. They only have so much capacity. So I think the immediate focus was A, design the vehicles, B, get the cells. So what, we, what we've seen, and I'm sure you know, you've seen it in the space, is that over the last, you know, let's say kind of year, maybe 18 months, is it just a, a number of um, automaker JVs with cell manufacturers, so like GM and um LG Chem, Ford and SK Innovation, Volkswagen did something with Norfolk, now they're going it alone. Volvo have stepped in with Norfolk, um, Renault and Envision, uh, just the list goes on. There's, there's all these various different JVs, Toyota and, um, and Panasonic, the Prime Planet Energy Solutions. So, you know, um, that's kind of been the first focus. I think we, you know, and part of that I think is also makers, you know, want security of supply, but also it helps with the capital intensities. These are massively capital intense projects. You know, money's got to come from somewhere. Sale makers are doing some of that, but there's only so much these companies can do. The next step is to go up the supply chain, right? Cathode companies, nano companies, how can we attract them? How can we help them? Can we do offtakes? Can we provide some financing? All these various different steps. Um, I think in Europe as well, in particular, something that helped accelerate it was the... Um, the rules of origin for cells, like rules of origin dictates that a certain proportion of the value of the vehicle has to be uh, sourced from within Europe to get trade-free tariffs, oh, sorry, tariff-free trade um, around the region. And um, the, it covers up to the cell. And so that's why I think, you know, automakers said, we need this, this has to happen because otherwise we can't, you know, sell our vehicles all across Europe. Um, so I think that helps accelerate it. That's why Europe was leading, I'd say leading you know, the other, the second global battery production hub after China. That, but now you've seen kind of North America play catch up over the last, let's say, year. Um, so there's been like, you know, policy 
just a lack of you know ca- capital and manpower and also a learning curve I think has been like the, the main reasons but now over the coming years we will, I think we will start to see more of that midstream get um, kind of more ge- geographically diverse. Yeah because you brought up something pretty interesting how and, and I think a lot of fellow especially in the U.S. Uh, you know why, why we're not seeing more localized uh, aspects of the supply chain in, in the U.S. You know how you know a lot of all that refining, almost all of it, is pretty much done in China. You know, so what 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 are some of the hurdles there for why the you know how do we get some of these refineries and, and get some of that more in in the U.S., Canada, at least in North America in general? Um, I think you know what's obviously. If you're a cathode manufacturer and anode manufacturer, if there's no battery plants, you're not going to build your cathode plant there because you've got no customers. So um, the fact that you've seen some big investments in in kind of the US and Canada, or most recently, you know, recently announced in Canada, should I say the US is kind of slightly further ahead in that sense, um, will should incentivize companies to to locate there. So there are some, there is some capacity on the on the table, as I say, there's a few percent of the global, you know, it's still very much located in China. But I think now those battery plants are getting built out and are coming into production. You know, you've, you've seen over the last few years, a few new battery plants in, in the US and there's lots in the pipeline that will come on, let's say over the next five years. Um, that will incentivize, you know, companies to locate and that will be a mix of new companies. So there's a number of new companies out there that are kind of focusing on this stuff. Um, incumbent, uh, let's say Western companies like the existing cathode suppliers in Europe and there's some small capacity in North America and then probably as well Asian companies Japan, Korea, China that will come over and locate uh, China perhaps a little bit more difficult in the US but um, yeah it's uh, yeah I think that will come it's just been slow to materialize and I guess you know the, the thing as well is as a new company trying to do it you know if you look at this huge amount of capacity that sits in China, you know, it, it can be hard to um, to kind of justify it. You know, capex requirements typically in China are lower as well, as they make it challenging. But I think the world has woken up now, particularly post-COVID and, and you know the unfortunate conflict in Ukraine, has you know particularly woken up to the, the need for localization and how you can't rely on global supply chains anymore. You need some of your material to be coming from your immediate you know country or region that you're in. Okay, so so to kind of close this out or to kind of maybe wrap a bow, because that, that was actually pretty good even just on its own, but to kind of put a bow on on everything that's going on. Um, well, actually, maybe I don't know this is a bow. This might actually take another <laughs> hour with this question. But when, okay. we're, when we're talking about the future of technology, you know, not just talking EV, battery, cobalt, all that stuff, you know, but just the future of technology in general, you know, are, are there any new materials that are now going to be needed or you know what what are some trends that you're seeing with some of the new tech that's coming online um yeah i mean i think the the reality is in terms of new materials people try and avoid new materials now because if it's if it's a it could be a great product but if there's only like fifteen thousand tons of it produced a year you know you're creating the same problem that you're kind of not creating with lithium-ion batteries but you've got to scale right and that takes time and money so what's actually happening is we're seeing, you know, companies try and use existing and very widely available materials to, to do that. And so the one that people talk about in terms of like new materials, I guess, in, in the battery supply chain would be sodium iron. So 
sodium, very abundant. Um, uses no lithium, no nickel, no cobalt. I mean, I would say the one thing I'll say with all new, when we're talking about the space and, you know, anything new in, in EVs, you have to be, you know, realize that the, the time to bring that to market is going to be huge. And that's because those qualification requirements that I spoke about when I was talking about lithium chemicals, there's big qualification requirements for EVs and they take even longer. So say, for example, someone uh, that commercializes this uh, sodium ion technology. So they are, uh, they've gone through all of their R&D steps and they're going to their customers and saying, well, this is the product. We want you to test it and tell us what you think and can you use it? The reality is if it's a brand new technology like that, it's going to be a multi-year process for an auto maker. Um, and so nothing's going to happen immediately. So, um, you know, they want to be sure that, A, it's going to last long enough. We're offering a 10-year warranty on this car, on this battery pack. You know, is it going to, in six years, is it going to, the capacity fall off a cliff and I'm going to have to replace it at a huge cost? Is it going to catch on fire? You know, is safety high enough? That's the other concern. And so, you know, all of those new technologies, it takes a while, but... Um, you know, I don't think there's anything kind of new out there that we're hearing about in terms of new materials that could potentially go into the space. It would be something, as I said, that should be scaled. You know, the obvious things, electric electric motors, rare earths, is always going to be a focus. And, you know, particularly with the kind of, let's say, tensions with China and, and, and the US at the moment, um, which is, again, China is where the rare earths are actually produced. It's not just where they're, they're processed, they're, they're, they're produced there as well. So... It, um, yeah, it definitely creates a problem. Um, you know, so you need to, you know, there will be some focus on, on building out rare earth capacity elsewhere. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any kind of, uh, you know, secret material up my sleeve that I can say, by the way, this is the next big thing. The reality is that, yeah, the lithium ion we've got now is, is here to stay. And, and, and actually, the reality, you know, the materials that we're using today that we've already covered are the ones that we expect to be you know, end of the decade and then probably the end of the next as well that are going to be the ones used in passenger EVs and, and transport. Very good. All right. Well, okay. Now to close this out, um, final thoughts. Is there anything that we missed that that's important to cover and, or, or do you think we got it all? Um, I think we cover quite a lot there. Um, I think we've covered, yeah, I mean, pretty much everything. I guess the only thing we didn't really talk about was that kind of NCM LFP playoff and what, what, what the reality is there, which I think is quite important because understanding, you know, if you're looking at these companies and understanding, looking at their, I don't know, their corporate decks and saying, is, is their forecast realistic? You know, is there going to be this much nickel used? Lithium, you can't get away from like roughly does change over each individual uh, cathode type but broadly speaking there's not huge variations in the amount of lithium in a in a ncm battery or a lfb battery so you can't get away from that graphite you can't get away from that because it's very similar you know across any cathode type very very little variation but nickel and cobalt does change um, but the reality is what we're seeing is that yes lfp is which has previously been confined to china has been the the the, the um cathode type that's really been used in China. It's been seen as kind of a low cost cathode type uh, and uh, low energy density, which means you can only drive like 150 or 200 miles range, which broadly speaking is not enough for most consumers, Western consumers. Um, and so I think we will start to see that technology deployed in Europe and North America and elsewhere. That's certainly a lot of interest there. At the moment, it seems confined to, um, uh, let's say, uh, so like entry segment vehicles, maybe lower cost vehicles. So like small, small vehicles that are really designed for city use, 
and we use a lower range. Um, so it's not going to be widespread. We, you know, I think the vast majority of, um, or the majority of cathode type we, we see being planned into the supply chain and, and part of the pipeline is, is going to be fair, is going to be NCM for EV. So um, I think the numbers off my top of, top of my head, maybe around 20, 25% LFP, majority of the rest is going to be nickel-based technology. So very much heavily weighted towards that and kind of the, the later in the decade, kind of long-term thing. Um, I'll just add I, I mean, the other thing, the reason why LFP has come about, and if anybody's wondering, maybe you're not, um, we've seen some improvements in the technology. So as I said, it was it is effectively lower energy density than nickel-based chemistries, but at the pack level and some improvements at the cathode level have meant that now you're looking at something that can offer a much better range. You know, all standard range Teslas are going to be LFP. You've seen an uh, announcement from Rivian about LFP. You've seen announcements from VW, various other automakers saying we are going to use this, um, but it will be, again, it will be kind of that, that lower range vehicle. If someone wants a lower range, they'll pay less for their car. If you want a bit more range, pay an extra $5,000, you can go another you know, 50 or 100 miles, whatever it may be. I think a lot of consumers are going to go for that. So um, that's the way we view the market. I think I think this is a good place to end it, right? I I, I think I think yeah. so. Are we do we, okay. we we got into it. Uh, there there was yeah. we we really I, I really appreciate it, Casper. So um, for more information for people to to continue to follow along, what's going on, and and to get maybe some. I, I, do you guys do you guys have like a, a like a subscription or something like that for for benchmark or uh, how, how can people continue to to access more of the insights that that your company puts out there? Yep. So easiest ways, immediate ways would be social media. So at Benchmark Min on Twitter. Um, I'm at CDM Rules, my surname, R-A-W-L-E-S. Um, and then we also offer as a company um, a free newsletter that goes out every Friday. Um, I think you can sign up to that on the website. I'm sure, um, if, I mean, if anybody wants to sign up, they can reach out to me on Twitter. But um, we, you know, on my social media, I occasionally post, you can sign up here for free. That's a free newsletter. And then if you want, you know, more detailed information, we have a, what we call the membership service, which is the subscription. And that's a kind of news analysis, uh, news flow on what's happening in the space. You get access to all of the benchmark presentation archive, all the slides that we give across all the conferences globally, all the way back to from when the company started, a video archive of all our presentations from webinars and in-person conferences, et cetera. So lots of content there. And if you want to go kind of more detailed, we offer price assessment subscriptions for lithium, cobalt, graphite, nickel, forecasts, consultancy services, obviously, et cetera, et cetera. It depends how serious you want to get, I suppose. But um, yeah, the whole suite of data and analysis if you need it. Very good. Well, Casper, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And uh, definitely look forward to our next update for sure. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for bringing on the show. Uh, Thanks, Robert. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.